So now we begin our journey into James chapter 2. And just very quickly, we are going to do a quick review of the previous podcast and where we were talking about James. If you haven't listened to those, I recommend that you go back and listen to our uh, discussion on James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Um, I will do a very, very quick review if you're keeping up. Um, you will be able to follow this. We talked about um, our takeaway for the uh, first chapter of James was the testing of faith or test of faith. As we go through the book of James, we're going to have uh, all of these different tests. And um, the way I do it in my outline is I just write out test of and then I have a blank. So your takeaway from chapter one should be the test of, if you're filling in the blank, faith. Test of faith is chapter one. And specifically in chapter one, we broke that down into uh, a test of obedience. And you may remember that as we were talking about uh, uh, obedience, we were talking about being a doer of the word, not a hearer only. And I asked questions like, who am I? What am I doing here? What's the purpose? What is the meaning of life? And so we kind of talked about a test of obedience in terms of our willingness to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And then we talked about a test of true religion, a test of true religion. You'll remember what James says is that um, if we are wrathful, if we think we are religious, but we don't hold back on our uh, sinful speech, um, that our religion is useless. But then he defines a test of true religion as someone who is willing to uh, visit the orphans and the widows in their times of trouble. And he has that phrase at the very end of chapter one, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So again, the takeaway I want you to get from chapter one is a test of fill in the blank. We talked about a test of faith, a test of obedience, a test of true religion. And now what I want you to get out of chapter two, as we get ready to start James chapter two, is we're going to see here a test of brotherly love, a test of brotherly love. So we're going to take the first 13 verses here, beginning with James chapter two and verse one. And here is what the word of God says. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay, atten and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, You sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with 
evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble on one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Once again, I come away from the word of God and almost the only thing I can say is wow. Or as some younger than me might say, mind blown. I read the word of God and as I mentioned before in a previous podcast, the word of God begins to read me. So let me ask you this as we reconsider these first 13 verses of chapter 2. What is your motivation? Does your motivations, plural, do they line up with God? Do they line up with what James calls us to here? He calls us away from the way we think we should treat people, and he calls us back to the commandments of Jesus. People within the new church, and especially at this time, the the church is forming, the church is a new concept on the world scene. And uh, at this time, they were still a part of Judaism, and they were playing favorites. And it was a tradition among the Jewish people to play favorites. Uh, Rich people were catered to. And just so that I'm clear on this, even though we're talking to a Jewish audience here, because he mentions at the very beginning, remember we talked about who is this letter addressed to? Well, it's addressed to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. These are people who are Jewish people by birth, Israelite by birth, but they have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So they are in the church. They are the church. And so um, some of these traditions, some of these cultures, some of these things that were uh, just a way of life, nobody even thought anything about it. It was brought in with them to the church. But Gentiles, in case you are listening to this, um, if you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. I'm not a Jew, so I'm a Gentile. But listen, we're no different, Gentiles. We play our favorites too, don't we? And we do it as a tradition. And all he's pointing out here is that in this uh, first church, that it was not an uncommon thing for them to treat wealthy people one way and the poor got treated a different way. 
And he makes the comparison here where the rich people would receive the best seat in the house and uh, they would get respect and they would be honored and maybe even honored from the pulpit even, you know, like to welcome uh, Mr. Rich Guy over here to our uh, meeting today. So glad you could join us, Mr. Rich Guy. But the poor people were, um, if you will, they were kind of put in the back row, the back seat. They were ignored. It even makes the mention here that, um, here, you sit at my footstool. And that's kind of a low place in life, isn't it, wouldn't you think, to be someone's or sitting on the level of someone's footstool. Um, I, I even wondered from reading this because he says, uh, the rich man, you sit here, but the poor man, you stand over there. Well, standing is different than sitting. So I've even wondered personally, as I've read through this at times, were they even allowed inside at all? <laughs> Was the poor man even allowed to come in? And so isn't it amazing that here we have the church just born and guess what we've got? We've got the same exact problem and the same exact thing going on in churches today. And I will share uh, at this moment something with my audience uh, that I really thought that I was above something like this. I really thought that I could, uh, uh, that I would not be bothered by this kind of instruction. And isn't it amazing that uh, the minute you think it doesn't really apply to you, because you've conquered it, you're above it all, you've, um, you know, the Lord has done a great work in your life, and then He shows you something. And I will share with you what the Lord showed me. I was on staff. Uh, at a church, and um, specifically, I worked a lot with uh, music and worship music. And um, someone was in our church who was in a position, uh, relatively speaking, to the community I was ministering in, um, pretty well off, pretty wealthy, lived in a slightly better house, drove a slightly better vehicle, had a slightly higher income than probably the median of our church and this individual um, purchased um, some things for the music ministry um, and he uh, did so um, I believe now I didn't see it at, this way at the time but I believe he was motivated um, for the wrong reasons but nonetheless he made a sizable contribution to the music ministry and I suddenly had uh, some money to spend uh, in music ministry, and so I did. And I didn't know where the money had come from. I had an idea, but I didn't know for sure that it came from the, from this person. Well, at a later time, he, uh, I'll put it this way, he confirmed to me uh, <clears throat> that he was the source of the money. And he asked me, how did I like having it? And how was it to purchase a uh, a few of these items uh, for the music and worship ministry. And and here's what's, uh, uh, just as a little side note here, I don't know if you knew this, but musical gear, equipment, um, it can be very, very expensive. Anybody who's ever done anything with musical instruments of any kind, it's expensive. And um, at that moment, um, as he began to talk to me, he confirmed my suspicion, and I, by the way, I didn't ask for this information. I didn't want to know. Like I said, I had my suspicions, but I did not go ask for this information. He brought it to me and told me that he was the source of 
the money. And here's what happened in my heart and in my mind. Once that was confirmed, suddenly I wanted to treat him differently than others. And I'm just being honest. So here I was on staff at this church. I was an assistant pastor and I found this creeping into my heart and I couldn't stop it. I couldn't control it. I, in my heart, wanted to treat this guy just a little bit better. I wanted to make sure that if he was present, that I said hi. I wanted to make sure that I shook his hand, that I welcomed him with a smile. I didn't want him to come to the church meeting or a gathering of any kind. I didn't want him to be there and him not know that I knew he was there. And why would I behave that way? Well, the answer's simple. Uh, I enjoyed having a little bit of extra money to spend in that ministry, and I didn't want that source to dry up. Shame on me for thinking that. Now, his motivations, his reasons for doing what he did, that's between him and the Lord. But I know that my heart was affected once that uh, knowledge was given to me, once I was made aware of what was going on, and it had an effect on me. And I, in my heart, violated James' instructions right here. I wanted to treat the rich guy one way and others not so much. Why? Well, because they weren't a source of income for the music ministry. And that, friends, is practical application of what's going on here. So if you're in a position of ministry, if you're a member of a church, if you're attending somewhere and you are guilty of this, you need to stop it. And I struggled with this because it revealed my own dirty heart before the Lord. And I asked God, I was like, God, help me with this because I find myself doing it and I'm not even trying to do it. I'm actually trying to do the opposite, but I end up, you know, showing this guy favoritism and I shouldn't be that way. So imagine Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Imagine it being read in this church uh, for the first time. And imagine that you are a poor person and you're hearing uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount being read to you, and you've heard this for the first time, and you hear, blessed are the meek, and blessed are the poor. How excited would you be? Because you're poor, and you hear that Jesus, your Lord and Master, is saying, blessed be the meek, and blessed be the poor. But then imagine you're in that church, and you're disillusioned, by this whole thing because an usher kicks you out or an usher says, Hey, you know, people like you, you sit over here. Um, the section that you're wanting to go sit in that's reserved for, uh, members only or the rich, or we've even got a plaque on this particular pew where they sit. Um, you know, there can be no place in our hearts nor in our church for this kind of prejudice or hypocrisy. I know of another situation, um, and I'll leave it with this one illustration. Visitor comes to church, uh, comes into the building, uh, brand new, doesn't know anyone, sits down, and uh, one of the old-time members who's been a member in that church forever comes over and tells this visitor, hey, 
you're sitting in my seat. How do you think it makes that person feel, especially if they are a non-believer? These are the kinds of things that the world looks at us and the world says, I don't want to have anything to do with you guys. And unfortunately, uh, in too many cases, we have given them a reason to think that way. You know, so we're not to be, bottom line is, we're not to be prejudiced. We're not to have this kind of hypocrisy. So these early Christians were playing favorites. And I've given you examples of how we can do it today. Um, you know, what kind of people are you seeking to attract uh, into your church where you may be attending or in your ministry? Um, you know, um, there's a lot I could say about racism here. Um, and recently, uh, within the church, there is um, a movement in some circles, and it's even referred to as Leave Loud, where there is a call going out to um, black Christians who may be attending a multicultural uh, congregation where there are white people and there are black people and maybe there's Asians and Hispanics and all kinds of folks being blended together. Um, I've had that experience one time in my church experience where we had um, Filipinos, we had Native American uh, Indians, we used to call them, but um, First Peoples, um, Indigenous Peoples, whatever terminology you would like to use. We had black folks, we had white folks, um, and it wasn't heaven on earth. It wasn't uh, absolute paradise and perfection in every way. And that's not what I'm saying. But it was a beautiful thing because we truly had come together the way I believe the church is, the way I believe the church is going to be. And sure, there were cultural differences. Uh, sure, there were language differences. There were things that were different. But we loved one another because Christ had taken strangers and people that in other circumstances would probably even be enemies. And he made us brothers and sisters. And it was an absolutely beautiful thing. However, there is this group that is calling out to uh, black Christians to leave their churches um, because they are referring to the church in America uh, as a white space. These are white spaces uh, made by uh, white people, and they have, just within the structure, they have something called uh, institutional or systemic racism, and um, and black folks are being called out of their churches, and they are actually, uh, within this movement, uh, black uh, folks who are calling themselves Christians are calling on other black Christians uh, to get out of those churches and not to, um, not to just leave, but leave loudly. Make your statement. Let them know how uh, they are racist. They are inherently racist. Um, friends, this is not the Lord's church. Uh, the Lord's church is not a place where this kind of thing goes on. In fact, if you're a true Bible believer, like I am, you will have to admit, whether you like this or not, um, you're related to everybody. We are all related to one another. We all came from Adam ultimately, but uh, not to get too much into the uh, story of Genesis. That will be a book that we cover at another time. But ultimately, we all came from Noah. 
and Noah's family. And it goes right on through. We came from uh, the Tower of Babel, where the Lord separated the human race by language. And from there, we dispersed throughout the entire world. And so, yes, we have different skin tones. Yes, we have different features uh, that happen to us genetically, but we're still human beings. There's one race, and it is the human race. And Jesus has purchased people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so, uh, getting back to this group, um, this Leave Loud movement, they are actually wanting to be voluntarily segregated. And friends, this is everything that the church um, stands against. Um, we should not be doing this. And the very fact that they are calling out to uh, people based on their skin color to come out from the other churches, the multicultural churches where they may be attending, uh, this is sin. It's just flat out wrong. So again, showing favoritism. It can go many different ways. So when we show favoritism, it means what? That we're judging a book by its cover. We are making an assessment uh, based on someone's skin color in this particular case. Or we're making an assessment like I did in the other example I was giving you based on the amount of money that was being given that I found out about. We have no idea what we could really be getting. So how can we favor someone based only on what they wear or their background or the value uh, that they have in our society or the money that they bring? How can we? Um, it's pure evil. So as we look at uh, verse 5 through 7, we're going to move on to verses 5 and 7. The rich among us in this world, uh, they're only rich for a time. Um, we are all going to face eternity. In fact, I would say we're facing eternity right now. Eternity begins right now. And we are all going to face eternity with the same amount of dollars in our bank account. <laughs> and that's zero. Your status in the kingdom of heaven is determined by God. It's determined by God alone. It's not determined by your place in society, your money, the color of your skin how nice you are, uh, all the good deeds that you do, or even the favoritism that you may receive. Um, things are really no different today um, in our world than it was way back then. And he even mentions here, he says, aren't these rich people the same ones that uh, oppress you and drag you into the courts? Isn't it amazing? And I'm sure you can think of... <laughs> Many examples, if you just stop and think about it, um, if you've got the money, um, you can buy the court system. If you've got enough money, uh, you can get away with murder. You can buy an acquittal. And I'm not saying that just because somebody comes to your church and they've got a lot of money that they're guilty of buying their way into the courts. My only point is, is that things are not any different today than they were back then. We all know that um, a rich person um, can certainly put on a better defense than someone who cannot afford an attorney and gets one appointed for him. See, God is honored not by our worth in society, but rather how we obey his precepts 
and trust in him. So do not confuse this with working for your salvation. I can't emphasize that enough. We honor God and we obey God out of our love and out of the liberty that we have been granted in Christ. We sin when we play favorites, when we have a skewed value because we've been influenced by something other than the law of liberty in Christ. We really ought to be treating everyone exactly the same. One of the things that he points out to us here is, listen, if you break one of the commandments, you are guilty of them all. The same God who said, don't murder, is the same one who said, don't commit adultery. And so why is that relevant? Why bring up these two of the Ten Commandments? It's because James is making the point here that we are all guilty before the law of God. So you may not have murdered, but you may have committed adultery. Does that make you any better? No, it doesn't. You may be thinking, well, I'm safe. I've never murdered anyone and I haven't committed adultery. It's interesting that Jesus tells us in the Gospels that if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he has committed the act already in his heart. I don't know a man alive who isn't guilty of adultery if you take it in the sense that Jesus further explained it. But going even further, the Ten Commandments, one of them is that you should have no other gods before who? Before the one true living God. So if he's not your God, you're guilty of breaking that one. And we could go through the entire list. Honor your father and mother. Have you always, as a child, did you always do exactly 100% every single time what your parents told you to do? No, you didn't. I know you didn't. <laughs> because no child does 100% all the time. So we're guilty of breaking that commandment. So what's the point? The point is, is that your riches don't matter. Your position in life doesn't matter. The reason that James brings these up is he's, he's saying, listen, the same God who wrote one commandment wrote all 10. If you break one, you're guilty of all. And it doesn't matter how rich you are. You're not going to be able to buy your way out of this one. And if you're poor, rich, no matter where you are in life, we are all on the same ground when it comes to the law of God. The basic, simple, and true thought here is that we are to treat others the way Christ has treated us. So being a Christian means that we are to see one another as who we are in Christ. We are to treat one another the way Christ treated us because he loved us first. We should also see the lost ones we know through the eyes of Jesus. I cannot tell who God has elected. My job is to preach the gospel. I preach, proclaim the truth. The Holy Spirit does his work. And since I can't know, because I'm not God, who was elected and who was not, I must look at everyone through those eyes of compassion. I must show mercy. Why? Because God showed mercy to me. 
I must show grace. Why? Because God showed grace to me. We have grace. We have mercy. And he even says here, mercy triumphs over judgment. So I ask you again, what is your motivation? So we're going to stop it here. And remember that this section, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, we've called it the test of brotherly love. So just kind of to recap real quickly, we had a test of faith in the first chapter. We also had a test of obedience, test of true religion. And now we have talked about the test of brotherly love. Hope this has been a blessing to you as always. May the Lord bless you. May he open your eyes to the truth. May he show you where you can apply this in your own life. Until the next podcast, God bless you.